right. Well, good evening, friends. Good to see you guys. Have fun at the game. Yeah. Seemed like you guys were going nuts. It was fun to watch you watch. It was fun to watch you play that. And I preferred to be that where I was. Hey, uh, I know we just finished praying, but if you don't mind, can we pray again? Just because I don't like to preach unless we pray. Um, so let's pray. So let's, let's talk to Jesus again. Jesus, we give you thanks. I just love you so much, and I just want these students to love you. And I know that you want it more than I do. And so I pray you would convict us and encourage us, whatever's necessary to make us look like Jesus, but just convey truth to us tonight, God. Change us, transform us into the likeness of your son. We pray this in Jesus' name, and everyone who agrees says, amen. So this morning we're looking at scripture being truth, the truth of scripture. And I made this statement, I'm, I'm fully convinced of it, that I believe that right now, at least in the States, it's the most biblically illiterate culture in the history of the, Christian, of the, of the church, in the, in the history of Christendom. Because we have all these options to read or to listen to the word, and yet we make excuses as to why we don't. Because I think that we have this idea that it's just a book to read, right? It's, it's as thick as a dictionary. You're like, what's a dictionary? Well, they used to have dictionaries on paper, on paper books, and now I know that they're all online. But this is a big, fat book, right? But I said, hey, remember when we spend time reading the Bible, it's not so we get more information. It's so that we get to know Jesus more. We get to hear him speak to us. This is God's word. See, in John chapter 5, you have your Bibles. Turn to John chapter 5 real quick, if you don't mind. John chapter 5, starting verse 39. You guys know what the book of John is? If not, it's totally fine to use the table of contents in your Bible. There's nothing wrong with that. John chapter 5, starting verse 39. <clears throat> Jesus is saying this to, uh, to the religious leaders, and he's saying, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Here Jesus is saying, and when Jesus ta is talking about the scriptures in this moment, when he's making that statement, he's talking about the Old Testament, because the New Testament wasn't around yet. So the whole Old Testament, that fat part of the Bible that most of the time we're not reading, that's the part that's talking about Jesus coming. That's they're talking about who Jesus is. So he says, okay, so you're all about reading the scriptures. You're searching the scriptures. You know the scriptures, but you think that you're just reading them just to know them because you think that if you know enough of the scriptures, you'll have eternal life. No, those scriptures point to me. Guys, that's a very arrogant statement. Can you imagine if I walked up on the stage, guys, guys, you know what this book's about? It's about me. I'm pretty sure at that moment everyone from Hume would come up to the stage and just throw me out and just make sure I left. And every one of you would be applauding because there's no way that I, a little speaker, a little preacher of the word could come up and say, hey, the Bible's about me. But for Jesus to say it, unless he's God, it would sound just as foolish. So friends, I know you say, and maybe somebody said, go, but Brian, we're pretty young. Guys, I'm convinced that God loves to use the young people. Here's how I can prove it. Remember when David took on Goliath? Remember that story? Remember the David and Goliath? Do you remember how old? Do you know how old David was, give or take? About. Remember? What's that? 14, 15 ish. You said it? He said, he's like, oh man, passion. That's fantastic. Yeah, 14 or 15. Guys, imagine this is your day. You, you're at home and your parents say, hey, go check on your brothers. And, and then you take a little cart with you to bring a bunch of food to them. But they're at battle. They're in war. And if you're a 14-year-old kid going, 
but I could go check on my brothers who were in the fight. I'm going. And so he's bringing the food with him, and he shows up. His older brother shows up and looks at him and goes, why are you here? Are you just here to watch the war? He's like, you haven't even done anything. I brought you stuff. And then Goliath comes out. Guys, I'm guessing that this is about three feet high, don't you think, give or take? And I'm about six feet high. So 6'3", that's my height. So just picture me without the stage. I'm just this tall. This is Goliath, nine feet tall. And he comes out and he makes fun of the armies of God, which is pretty much he's saying he's making fun of God. And David, a 14-year-old kid, going, who's this guy? Who's, who's this guy? He's like, well, he, this is the giant. Anyone who, he comes out every day. He says anyone who takes him on and can beat him, then they win. He says, I'll do it. And then David finds out what he gets if he wins. You know what he gets? No, he gets to marry the king's daughter, so he gets a girl, because what 14-year-old girl or guy doesn't want to marry a hot girl? So he's thinking like a 14-year-old guy, and then the family of whoever beats up the giant, they don't ever have to pay taxes again. So he gets to marry a hot girl, which means he'll be son-in-law to the king, and money. You're like, what teenager's not thinking about that stuff, Right? So I don't know, just no more taxes. You don't know taxes yet, but the adults in here are going, praise the Lord. So no more taxes. No more taxes, you get to marry the daughter's king, or the, the, the king's daughter. Okay, so the, king, the king's daughter. Here we go. Shh. Says, I'll do it. So the, I don't know why it is that King Saul is sitting there and go, yeah, let's make the 14-year-old go do it, because I don't want to do it. And he says, okay, you can, you can wear my armor. It's too much for me. Can't do anything. Guys, what did he beat Goliath with? Do you remember? What was it? Real quick. Slingshot, okay? So here's the thing. We think this, like when you think a slingshot, you think a ping. Okay, not, that's not what it looked like. So picture t- like a long leather strip, and in the middle is this pouch. And so then you take both of the ends, and you bring them into one hand, and you put the rock in the pouch, and then you just start, you just start going crazy. You start swinging it around. Guys, think about it. This is what he would do, and he's bored. He's watching a bunch of sheep all day, and there's not a lot to do it, but he said this when he's saying, I could take the giant. There was this one time... A lion came up and took away a sheep, and I went after it and killed it. That's a heck of a day. Another time, this bear came up, did the same thing. I jacked it up. This guy will be nothing compared to them. And so as he goes to battle, he actually talks trash to the giant. He's like, oh, you sent a little kid. This is cute. And he goes, you know what, today, today, I'm going to drop you, and then when you hit the ground, I'm going to cut off your head. That's a lot of boldness. So all of a sudden, he takes a slingshot, going crazy. And he lets it loose. And he's sitting there go, what's it going to do? Guys, people using that kind of slingshot, if they were skilled, that, that rock would come out of that sling like a bullet. I mean, that's how fast this thing's coming. It sank into the skull of Goliath and dropped him. First shot. Then David goes and picks up the dude's sword and cuts off the dude's head. So he won. And then it says he took the head with him. And that's where it's weird. Don't you think it's weird? Can you imagine him getting home? Like the whole battle continues. They, take, they go after the Philistines and David has the head. And he goes home and he's got his big old pouch. And his mom's like, hey, how are, how are, the, how are the boys? They're doing good. How was your day? It's okay. What'd you do? You don't want to know. What's in the bag? You definitely don't want to know. Where'd you get the sword? Ah, that's connected to what's in the bag. And I'm not going to tell you. Guys, God used a 14-year-old, 15-year-old kid. Guys, I'm convinced if you ever feel like you're too, if you ever have anyone tell you, oh, you're too young to be used by God in a great way. 
It's because they're too old. Like at some point, they have forgotten that it's not about age. God will use anyone that he wants to. The reason you, I want you to spend time in the Bible is not so you know more information, but that you meet Jesus. I watched this video from a while back. It's about a pastor who went to China, and he spent three days teaching the Bible. There were 22 Christian leaders who traveled 13 hours on a train to get to a 700-square-foot apartment. So picture 700 square feet, give or take, about the area you're sitting. That's about it. So 22 people show up. No, no stage, no air conditioning. In fact, there's no air conditioning. It's humid and hot. It's just hardwood floors, not really any chairs. They traveled 13 hours by train to show up. In order to go up to the apartment to, and to make sure that no one thought that there's anything suspicious going, because to gather as Christians in a church community not sanctioned by China is illegal. And so this is what they would do. They would go two by two up the elevator. Two people get in the elevator and they would go up. And the, and the rest would wait. They would wait an wait, wait amount of time and then the next two would go up. And they did this in order to get up to the top because one guy from the States is there to teach them the Bible. Think about it. 13-hour trip by train for a 700-square-foot apartment so that they could be taught the Bible. He asked them a question. Out of the 22 of you here, how many people are you responsible? How many Christians are you responsible for? Guys, think about it. Out of 22 Christian leaders, they were responsible for 20 million Christians. 20 million. And he's sitting there going, why am I here? Like the responsibility that you guys have is kind of blowing my mind. No air conditioning, hardwood floor. They sat on the floor. He taught straight from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m., maybe a little break for lunch. And they were glued. They didn't move. They listened the whole time. They're just like, give me more, give me more, give me more. He asked them this question. Hey, what would happen if we got caught? What would happen if we got caught doing this? And he said, well, they told me that in 24 hours, I would be deported, and, and then they would probably go to prison. And he asked how many of them had gone to prison because they loved Jesus. Out of the 22, do you know how many, you know how many people raised their hand out of 22? 18. 18 of them. This is 10 years ago, 12 years ago. 18 of them raised their hand and said they had been in prison simply because they loved Jesus. So with 22 people there, he had 15 Bibles there with him. He passed them out. And so people were sharing. And here's this little older woman, and she's holding the Bible. And through a translator, he says, if you could turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. And all of a sudden, when the translator spoke the words, she just closed the Bible and handed it over to the next person. And she just sat there without a Bible. And he continued to preach out of 2 Peter chapter 1. And at break, he walked up to her and said, hey, I realized that you, you closed the Bible when I said what book we're going to go to. And then you handed it off. Can I ask why? And she goes, well, I already memorized that. Says, you memorized all of 1 Peter 1? No, I memorized all of, oh, I'm sorry, all of 2 Peter 1? No, I memorized all of 2 Peter. You see, I was in prison, and they won't let you have a Bible, but people would smuggle the Bible in through pieces of paper. And every time I got it, I would memorize it. And as I memorized it, I got it into me, and then they would find it, and they would take it away. But here's the thing. They couldn't get it out of me. So that's why I memorized it before they found it. So I've already memorized that. When he was finished after those three days, a couple of them looked at it and said, hey, could you pray for us that we could be like you all in the States? Like, you guys can worship whenever you want. 
You're, you're free to gather and worship, and you don't feel like you're going to get arrested. Could you, could you pray that we would become like you? And friends, this was his response. He said, no. And at first, when I was watching the video, I was like, wow, what a jerk. And let's continue to listen, and this is what he said. You see, in our country, in the States, if people have to travel more than 30 minutes, they'll decide, they're not sure if they're going to come back the next week, if ever, because it was too far. And yet you traveled 13 hours by train just because you wanted to hear someone teach the Bible. He said, in our, in our, in our churches, if the service goes too long, if our worship time goes too long, people won't come back. And in our services, in our church services, if, if people aren't comfortable, like the air conditioner's not working and the seats aren't comfortable, people won't come back. But here you've been here for three days, no air conditioning, sitting on the floor just wanting to hear about the Bible. And this is how he closed it. He says, I will not pray that you become like us, but I will pray that we become like you. Because to them, it wasn't just, hey, I just want to know this. It's like, I want to hear you teach this because I want to know Jesus. I want to know Jesus more. Guys, I've never forgotten that video. And I watched it a couple years ago, and then I came across it again, no, no, before the summer started. And I thought, how is it that people today, where they don't have access to the Bible, man, they just long for it. And so they memorize it, and they have to get it smuggled in if it's illegal, and they just eat it up. Guys, do you realize where the fastest growing church in the world is? Do you know where it is right now? Iran. Iran is the fastest growing movement of the Christian faith on the planet. And they long for this. And yet in our homes, how many of you have at least two Bibles in your house? Guys, in my office at home, I've got this shelf of them. And yet I have to ask the question, do we spend time with Jesus in it? Or are we again too busy? Guys, it's when we, time, we spend time in the scriptures, we get to know Jesus and what he's like. Instead of just looking at the scriptures like chapter 5, verse 39, it's like you, look, you think if you read the scriptures, you're going to find life, like just good principles. No, the, the scriptures point to him. Jesus is saying the scriptures point to him. And so let's look at a, a couple of things that Jesus did. Go to John chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Says this, after, after this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. And Jesus went up on a mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now, the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand, lifting up his eyes then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? And he said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. And Philip answered, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. And then watch this in verse 8. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. Stop there for just a second. Pause. Does anyone else think that sounds absolutely stupid? Okay, picture 5,000 men plus women and kids. So I know it says in your Bibles, little subheading, Jesus feeds the 5,000. I don't think that Jesus just let the men eat and all the women and children just had to sit there and watch. I think this is the feeding of the 20,000 plus people. And Jesus looks at all of them and says, where are we going to get food? Philip, come here. 
You see all these people? I know there's a lot of them. I know. They're hungry. Don't you think they're hungry? Oh, I bet they're hungry. So let's feed them. Like, what are we going to do? And Philip goes, we don't have enough money. Like, we won't have enough money even just for everyone to have just a little bit of a bite, let alone be full. And then here comes Andrew, 20,000 plus people. 20,000 plus people. He's like, Jesus! Little boy here. Got five barley loaves, two fish. Five. Now, barley loaf, guys, it's the size of a Twinkie. It's a little boy. It's a poor boy's lunch, actually. Five twi- so picture five Twinkies, two sardines, 20,000 plus people. Jesus, five Twinkies, two sardines. Look, I got this. And don't you think that he had it at some point? Do you think that maybe Jesus is going, they're getting it, until he said one word. Watch this. There's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but... What are they for so many? Guys, you ever wonder how Andrew found it? How do you find the lunch? And it doesn't say it in the passage, but at least let's play with it for just a second. Guys, you, I remember being young, kind of-ish. So I remember when I looked at my dad, I was like, Dad can do anything. Dad, Dad, I'll just brag about Dad. Isn't it, doesn't it just like when little ones, little ones just know this. Jesus loves me, this I know, Why? But the Bible tells me so, right? Like, for a little one, God can still do anything. And then we get older and we have to make him prove it. But they just know. Little ones just know, God, God loves me. God's going to make it all good. So I'm going to go play. Is it possible that a little boy is close to Jesus when Jesus says, hey, how are we going to feed all these people? And he's sitting there going, I got, I got lunch. And maybe he's tugging on Andrew's his little robe going, Mr., 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 here, opens it up, solved it. Thank you. Well, five loaves, two fish. And all the disciples are going, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? And then he says this, but what, what will that do for so many? And what if this little eight-year-old is in the back going, I thought he could do it. I could have sworn it. That's why I offered it. Watch, and Jesus said, have the people sit down. That's it. I wonder if he looked at his disciples and was like, oh, you were there. Looks at the little boy. Maybe he gives him a wink. Hang on. Hey, disciples, you go do the work. I got my partner here with me. You go tell all 20,000 people. It's going to take you a little bit of time. Get out of here. Meaning, meaning we're going to hang. You go tell them. Have a seat. Watch. Keep going with the passage. Now, there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves. And when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were, who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted, and when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. Guys, how freaky would that be? 20,000 plus people, and Jesus takes a Twinkie, and he goes, game on. Just starts breaking pieces. Go on, disciples, distribute, get it moving. And the little boy's going, I knew it, I knew it. And then he said, Andrew, mister, mister, I knew it. I know. And what if Jesus says he's breaking, come here, come here, come here. And he's breaking, the kid's like, I know, that's me. And he's just passing these out to the 20,000 people, 20,000 plus people can eat so much that they're full. Middle schoolers, can I tell you this? Maybe you sit there and go, but Brian, I don't, I don't feel like I'm really great at very many things. 
Jesus takes what you have and what you're willing to give, and he accomplishes the miraculous so that it's not on you to accomplish it. Do you see that in the passage? This is what I can offer, God. This is all I got. So God, I'm going to give you my best. This is mine. This is all I got. But you've got to do the rest. And at no point does God go, nah, that's not going to work. God just says, give me what you have. But what I have should be the best that I can give to him. Why? Because he's worthy of it. He's worth it. Guys, you imagine the disciples as they're walking and feeding 20,000 people. And, and Andrew's sitting there going, I almost had it. And all the disciples just keep their mouth shut because they knew they weren't even close. And as they're coming back, the little eight-year-old's waving. Can you imagine that little eight-year-old going home? What if mom couldn't come because mom's taking care of the other kids? And he walks in the house and mom says, how was your day? I got to see Jesus. And guess what? He took your food and he fed like a gazillion people. Because 20,000 people to an eight-year-old is a gazillion people. And can't you imagine the moms and they're going, did they like it? Did they like my cooking? Yeah, they ate it all. They were all full and then there's leftovers. And I did it. I did it. Because wouldn't an eight-year-old go, I did it? And wouldn't Jesus go, he did it? He gave it and we did it. He gave it, we did it. Guys, now we jump to chapter, uh, keep going, chapter six, verse 16. When evening came, his disciples went down, went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. Another, trend, or another, another gospel account says that they were terrified. And I'm going to be honest, friends, I would be too. Guys, you ever gone to the beach, and maybe you're just kind of swimming along, and something just kind of brushes up against your calf, right? Don't you freak out a little bit? You're just kind of, and now somebody's sitting there going, I don't. I'm all tough. Okay, but picture it's at night. You're just swimming around, just kind of, and you're just chilling. All of a sudden, you feel this little... Don't you just freak? Why? Just jumping around. What is that thing? Oh, no, just someone tried to kill me. And they pull it out. It's like a little leaf, a little seaweed leaf. That's all. But it freaks us out. Imagine you're on a boat, middle of night, and you're looking, and it looks like some dude's walking on water towards you. You don't sit there and go, oh, get the camera. Get the phone. That looks awesome. Post that. Hashtag awesome. Guys, you'd be freaking out just like they would be freaking. They're terrified, and they're not thinking it's Jesus. In fact, it might be the book of Mark that it says that Jesus intended to pass by them. It's like he wasn't even going to stop. He was going to make them keep rowing against the, against the storm. But then they saw him. But he said, verse 20, it is I, don't be afraid. Now, here's the part. Mark doesn't mention it. John doesn't mention it. I know why Mark doesn't mention it, because you know what most scholars think about Mark. Mark was written, Mark would write what he's hearing Peter preach. So when Peter's preaching, Mark is taking notes, and he's writing his gospel account. But Matthew throws Peter under the bus. Because here's the story. So while Jesus says, don't be afraid, it's me. 
Peter from the boat goes, Jesus, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. Now, guys, if they think it's a ghost, doesn't that, again, sound really stupid? As if the ghost, if they think it's a ghost, as if there's such thing as ghosts, if, if they think it's a ghost, do they actually think the ghost can't lie? Jesus, if it's you, tell me to come to you. And if it's a ghost, go on, oh, okay, come. But it's Jesus, and you know what he says? He said, come on. Can you imagine all the other disciples looking at Peter and Peter? <laughs> maybe he meant it, maybe he did it. Maybe it's just like, if it's you, tell me to come to you. Watch, he won't do it. Come, oh, okay. And then all they all go, go on, water walker. Get out of the boat, water walker, go on. And you imagine as he steps out and puts his foot down and it holds. And then he steps out and it's still holding him up. All of them talking trash would stop. And as he took his first step and then his next. And can you imagine Jesus just standing there? Wind's going crazy. Waves are going crazy. And he's just standing going, yeah. We always picture him just standing there, arms closed with his hands inside of his robe. Come. Like he's super boring. He has no emotion. He's never happy. He's never glad. He's never sad. He's just, that's him. Nothing, no emotion. Guys, I don't picture him standing there. Come on, keep coming. Come on. Because who created fun? Jesus, who created adventure? Jesus did. So he's like, come on. And it says that Peter kept walking toward him until he noticed the wind and the waves and he freaked out and he began to sink. And it says that he cried out to Jesus to save him. And it says immediately Jesus grabbed him and pulled him up. He said, why did you doubt? Like you had it. Why did you doubt? You were doing it. Guys, one of the reasons I love that passage is two things. One, it showed the heart of a disciple. Peter's a disciple. The word disciple means follower or learner. The heart of a disciple doesn't just want Jesus' stuff. The disciple wants to be where Jesus is and to do what Jesus does. Can you imagine Peter just sitting there going, I want to do that. Maybe that was his heart. I want to do that. I don't want to sit in a boat. I want to do that. Jesus, tell me if it's you. Come, tell me to come to you. Come on. Yes. I want to walk on water because a disciple wants to do the things that Jesus does. And I want to come all the way to you because the disciple wants to be where Jesus is. Guys, you realize the Bible never tells us to go make converts. What's a convert? Convert's kind of like a person who thinks one way, then they change their way of thinking. But he says go make disciples. Disciples follow. Disciples go where Jesus goes, and they do what Jesus does. That's what he told us to go make. Here you have Jesus saves Peter. It says they, they all walked back to the boat. In Matthew chapter 14, verse 33, this is the end of it. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly you are the Son of God. Here's the other reason why I love this passage, is that it introduces us to this. Guys, if there was no storm, they would have never seen this moment. And this moment they needed to see that Jesus not only calms a storm, because he already calmed a storm before in Mark chapter 4. He already calmed the storm, but this time they got to see him walk on top of it. And the response that they had was what? They worshipped him because they saw God. They said, truly you are the Son of the God, and they worship him. Why is this so important? Guys, the storm ushered in a new revelation of who Jesus was. How do I apply that? 
Friends, for those of you that are facing that hard thing right now, and you don't have to say what it is. I'm hoping that you have people you're talking to. You don't have to tell me. But I'm hoping that you have people that you can talk to about it. But that thing that you are going through, or that thing that your family is going through, or that thing, thing that one of your friends is going through, whatever it is, or whoever it is, that thing, let's call that thing the storm. That thing is just terrifying. And you're freaking out, but they're, and you're trying everything you can do to get through it, and it just doesn't feel like you're going anywhere. This passage reminds me that Jesus knows the storm, number one. Number two, can walk all over the storm. And number three, that storm will be used by God to introduce you to a new aspect of who God is. Guys, the worst thing that God could do is to always keep the storms away. The storms introduce us to the miraculous side of God. Guys, you ever notice we want to see a miracle? You ever heard someone tell a story, a miracle, or you've heard people tell the stories, or it's a video or something that you read? You're like, I want to see it. But then the bad thing comes in where you actually need God to do the miracle. You're like, I don't want that. God, take this away. And God's like, I thought you wanted to see a miracle. Didn't you want to see the miracle? Well, I want to hear about it. I don't want to have to go through it. Guys, what do we want about God? Do we just want his stuff? Or do we want all of him? I remember in college, we were asked this question. I went to a Christian college, and the chapel speaker asked this one question. Imagine you go to heaven. One day you go to heaven, and when you get there, everything that heaven is, as fun as it could be. Think about that. Guys, there's no more, there's no more death. Who's been to a funeral? Hey? Aren't they hard? They're uncomfortable, right? And then I went to another show of hands. When you get to a funeral and we're going, and we're going through that time, doesn't, isn't there something inside of you just sitting there going, it's not supposed to be like this. Doesn't it feel like there's just something wrong, right? And so you, you, like we deal with it, but in heaven there's no more death. Now play it out for just a second. There's no, more, there's no more way to die. Guys, can you imagine riding a roller coaster on the new heaven and new earth? I think about it, there's no, more, there's, there's no more death. Guys, you know when you get a roller coaster, they put that thing down, like you get a... And then those people come by to check it. And I've noticed a lot of them don't check it all that well. This is kind of what they do. So picture this is my, this is the lock. This is me. I weigh about 240 pounds. And this is what they do to check it. They go through, through, through. You're fine. Da, 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 da. And I'm sitting there going, there better be 240 pounds of pressure in that little flick that you just did. Because if I come out and I die, I will haunt you. That's boom, that's it. Can you imagine in heaven you don't need it? You're just hanging on the back, just going like crazy. And when you're done, you just jump off. You imagine rock climbing, just diving out when you're done. Oh my gosh, like this is just a blast. Guys, I'm convinced we get to fly. <gasps> Prove it. Here's why I think we do. Because there's a part in the scriptures where it talks about we're going to meet Jesus in the air. How the heck are we going to get there unless we fly? And I will beat all of you to Jesus. I will outfly all of you. Guys, you start thinking about, because I'm, because I'm older, so, I, okay. so you start thinking, all that heaven brings, all that heaven is, but Jesus wasn't there, would you be bummed? And I answered the question honestly, I don't know if I said this last night or not, if I, if I did, I'm so sorry. I try to answer those questions honestly, and in my head I was like, we, we still get his stuff though, right? Like I'd be bummed for a little bit, but we get his stuff, I'd be okay after a little bit. Isn't that horrible? 
I was about 20 at the time. And so for the last 28 years, that's right, 48, I know you're shocked. It's like, no way. It's absolutely true. 28 years later, God has broken me and changed me and confronted me and convicted me and been so good and patient with me. Heaven for me, I could care less about all the other stuff. Just give me two chairs and Jesus, that's it. What about you? Are you in it for his stuff? Because that's not what the disciple wants. The disciple wants Jesus. The disciple wants to do what Jesus does, go where Jesus goes. See, guys, when they get to see all that Jesus got to do, when they got to hear all that Jesus got to talk about and what he taught and what he preached, guys, think about it. You're watching Jesus healing people. That's what he invited them to. Can you imagine Mark chapter 2, the, the paralyzed guy, one of my favorite passages in the Bible. Jesus is in, it's in Simon Peter's house. Simon's the only one out of the disciples who's married. So you can imagine Simon over here with his wife, and Jesus is teaching. It's packed. People are outside. They're trying to hear through the windows in the doorway. And all of a sudden, four friends show up with this one person in a cot. The one person in the cot's paralyzed, can't walk. They're like, we got to get him to Jesus. Well, he can't. He's, it's crowded. Then maybe the guy in the cot's like, it's okay, guys. We tried. Or we can wait. He's like, no, 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 no. We're going to get you there. And so they start brainstorming. What can we do? What can we do? Oh, I got it. Let's go to the roof. Let's dig a hole in the roof. Whose house is this? I don't care. It's not mine, so it doesn't matter. Let's dig a hole. And we're going to look. Dude, we're going to lower you down right in front of Jesus. And the dude's like, I don't like this plan. They're like, what are you going to do about it? You can't get up, so just lay there. So they take him to the top, dig a hole through the roof, and they begin to lower him down. Can you imagine as the first parts of this little roof are caving, are caving in, falling in front of Jesus, can you imagine Simon over here going, what the? What is this? And Jesus looks back smiling. He's like, look, can you believe it? He's like, this is so great. I don't like it. Looking at his wife, and she's like, I don't know. I don't know. And Jesus just has this massive grin. And then they begin to lower him down. Does anyone here not like to be the center of attention? Oh, I hate it. Which is weird. I'm up here, but I hate it. Can you imagine as it comes down? I don't either. I don't like that either. Can you imagine as you're coming down, you're like, oh, y'all done. <laughs> it's like, here we go. And they're just lowering you the best that they can. And then they just lay you right there in front of Jesus. And you're like, okay. And Jesus goes, oh, wow. Hey. Hey, dude, your sins are forgiven. Oh, great. That's, that's what I'm here for. Yeah, that's, that changes nothing for me. And then he says what? He says, oh, so that everyone here, all the religious leaders will know I know that only God can forgive sin, and I, what I just said is totally ticking off, but so that you know that I have power to forgive sin, why don't you do me a favor? I need you to sit up, grab your mat, get up, and walk out of here. You imagine the place just sitting there going, did he just say, did he? And all of a sudden he goes, Whoop. and as he starts to stand up and roll up his mat, can you imagine the friends peering their, their heads through the hole going, did you just back off? I can't see. And he walks out. Guys, that's what the disciples got to see. Can you imagine as that man walks by and you're one of the disciples that Jesus calls and you're like, what did we just say yes to? What did we just say yes to? But isn't that the life that Jesus had invited all of us to? And I feel like today what it's turned into is this. If you follow Jesus, you can hit a worship service once a week. And that's it. And we've missed out on the whole mission that God has called us to, to impact the lives of people, 
to pray to see God do the miraculous. Not that we create it, but that he created it. Can you imagine the friends who brought the friend? As he's walking out, they're all trying to get off the roof just so they can go down and greet him and hug him. And can you imagine one, the last one falls and breaks his back and gets paralyzed? Wouldn't that suck? But imagine all of them, they show up and it's like, oh my gosh, look. And they're like, oh my gosh, they're so excited. And then what do you think the first thing that a bunch of guys did? I think they raced. It's like, oh, you're healed, let's go. And wouldn't it be just like Jesus to make sure that this guy could run like a gazelle? And the disciples got to watch it. And they got to watch Jesus heal the blind and give hearing to the deaf. They got to see Jesus feed 20,000 people with five barley loaves and two sardines. They got to watch Jesus bring a 12-year-old girl back from the dead. They watched Jesus deliver people from demonic influence or demonic uh, uh, possession. They watched Jesus take a person whose back was hunched over and heal, heal that person just like that. With withered hands, he would completely heal them in the moment. They heard what Jesus did. They saw Jesus calm a storm. They saw Jesus when he got out of the boat after calming the storm, and they're, naked, and, and they're, and they're, they're uh, greeted by two naked, demon-possessed men, and Jesus delivers them, and then they get back in the boat, and then Jesus heals this woman who had this condition for 12 years. Jesus just went from place to place dealing with people, one-on-one, -on -one, and then he would speak to the masses, and that sounds so different than what we've become used to. Because what would happen if we actually engaged the world that God has called us to go after? And where do we learn that we're supposed to do that? From this. How do we know how to do it? We just look at what Jesus did and we try it. We just try what he did. Tell people about how great God is. Pray that great things would happen and trust God with the results. Instead of just, instead of just settling for an hour, hour and a half at the most, one day a week, so we can say that we did our religious thing that we're supposed to do, and then move on with our own lives, all the while missing the life that Jesus has invited us to. Friends, I want us all to move in that place. So what do we do with Jesus? Friends, Jesus is God. All the Bible points to him, and the Bible talks about his life, his teachings, and his miracles, and all of those things point us to truth. In other words, we follow Jesus because he's worth it, but know this, Jesus died for you because he deemed you the same. You're worth it. You were worth it. We learn all this stuff from this book. Oh, what a mighty God we serve. What a mighty God we get to follow. And if you don't know him, oh, I pray that you would continue to ask the questions with your group. Think through it. Engage in the process. But man, you were created for relationship with him. That's the main thing that you were created for. Can I pray for us as we close up? Let me pray. Jesus, thank you for your life. Thanks for coming to this planet as a, as a man to show us what life can be lived like and what it should be lived like. Thank you that you came and you know what weakness feels like. You sympathize, with our, you sympathize with us in our weaknesses because you know how hard things are. God, there's no other world religion that talks about a God who did that. You are, this is the only one. This is the truth. All the, other God, all the other religions, God, I know, we know to be false. This is truth. God, thank you for coming for us. Jesus, thanks for living the life that you lived. 
And thank you for inviting us to the life that you live. God, we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name and everyone who agrees says, amen. Love you more than you know.